So about a year ago, my friend Donna Henry, you might know Donna, she's, she's part of our church family. She works for Africa New Life, and about a year ago, she came to me and she asked if our women's ministry would like to support one of the women who are part of their um, vocational training program. So in Kigali, Rwanda, there on the campus of Africa New Life, there is a sewing center, and there's also a beauty center too, but in particular, there's a sewing center. And what they love to do is invite women to come for a year for a program to learn how to sew. And then at the end of that year, they are actually given their own brand new sewing machine. And they're, they're uh, able to go set up work for themselves. They can support their families. So she came to me last year and she said, would, you, would your women like to support a woman in our program? And of course, I said yes. And so she paired us up. I shared this with you at the end of last year, but I... Um, I she paired us up with a gal. Her name is Donantha. And um, here she is. She's um, 29 years old. She's married three children. Her, her parents died when she was a baby, so she was raised by her grandparents. Um, but she wasn't able to complete her education because in Rwanda you have to pay school fees in order to, to be educated, and her grandparents didn't have any money to do that. So she was living on, she was selling fruit on the streets, and oftentimes she didn't have enough money to feed her family. But she was invited into this sewing program, and um, the 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 mission of Africa New Life when they welcome people into their program is to, um, on the one hand, share the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the truth of our salvation, and on the other hand, to share the love of Christ with someone by caring for their needs, by helping them to become, you know, to, to be um, able to sustain a better life and to be able to share that with others. And so we paid uh, $1,800, our women's ministry. It's probably some of the revenue that we get when we sell you books. And we supported this, this woman, and um, she has graduated. She graduated last month, and she wrote us a letter. So I want to share with you what she said. Um, so she, um, she said, Dear the River... How are you? And if you've ever been to Rwanda, it's so funny. They go, how are you? <laughs> um, she said, uh, I hope you're doing fine. Uh, me too, I'm okay. Um, I'm very happy that I finished my school. I learned how to sew skirts and shirts and trousers and dresses and also bags. I'm planning on developing my family and uh, caring for them since I will be working. Uh, my family's fine. God is good. My husband and my three daughters are all good. <laughs> so um, she has a brand new sewing machine, and she is now able to go and provide for her family through her sewing business, which is so, so wonderful. And so her, Donantha's life has been changed by grace through faith and by the good works of people who are, have shared the love of Christ with her and have enabled her to have a better life. And that's what Paul is reminding us today in our lesson. He is reminding us that saving faith always results in a changed life. And so we're going to look at this lesson in two parts. We're going to look first at saving faith. We're going to look at Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, and we're going to see that God offers us the gift of salvation by grace through faith. And then we're going to look at a changed life as we look at verse 10, and we're going to see that God prepares a new life for us to enjoy in Christ Jesus. So let's begin by looking at saving faith. 
You know, I think about Paul, and I think of him as a man who had a deep understanding of God's grace. You remember his story. By grace, Paul was saved on the road to Damascus as he was, as God truly divinely intersected his life in a, in a profound moment. We looked at this at the beginning of our study. Um, Paul was on a mission at the time to kill Christians. He was certain that the Jewish Christians were blaspheming God, and he was certain that they were a threat to the Jewish faith. And so he thought he was serving God by going and extinguishing this threatening new um, theology that was emerging, this threatening new um, Christianity that was coming into their culture. But Jesus revealed himself to Paul on that road. Paul encountered the resurrected Jesus in all his glory, and Paul knew that Jesus was the long-awaited Messiah. Um, the Jewish Christians, actually, that he was intent upon killing, he knew in that moment they were right. Literally, Paul had a God moment. He had a moment that changed his entire life. And that moment, the whole trajectory of his life was dramatically changed. He experienced this transformational power um, of God's amazing grace. When we sing that song, Amazing Grace, it's amazing how God's grace comes and changes everything about our lives. And so that's why in verse 8, he begins by telling us, So by grace you have been saved through faith. Now remember, Paul was a proud Pharisee um, before this divine encounter literally brought him to his knees. He was, uh, the, he was the teacher of the Jewish law. He was educated by the best, the best teachers in his day. He was incredibly smart. Um, he was very well respected, but he was also arrogant because he trusted in his own thinking instead of trusting in those who had heard the testimonies of Jesus, who had witnessed his miracles, who had heard his teaching, um, who had, had been eyewitnesses of his death, resurrection, and ascension. Paul was trusting instead in his own thinking. But God changed Paul. You know, remember that physically Paul was blinded until spiritually his eyes were open to see Jesus as he truly is. Paul then spent three years in Arabia where he says the Lord taught him. The Lord showed him the whole realm of Scripture and how everything in Scripture pointed to Jesus as the Messiah and the King. So that's why the heart of Paul's message to us in Ephesians is to try to help us understand how grace is what makes us alive in Christ. Um, he is telling us over and over, you are dead in your trespasses and sins, and it's grace that made you alive in Christ. And, and notice that in this just one verse, we have three really big gospel concepts here um, in this one verse. We have grace, we have salvation to be saved, and we have faith. So I want to break those down and have us look at those three big terms that we use often as we speak to each other about God or as we read Scripture. But do we really understand what these three gospel concepts mean? So let's look at grace first. What is grace? You know, I think I shared this story with you last year, but it's probably the most personal illustration that I have raising my boys um, and thinking about grace. My younger son, Spencer, when he was a little boy, he was a very picky eater. In fact, we even call him now that he's a man, we call him a super taster because he still likes really simple tasting foods. But at the time, the one thing that he didn't like was tacos. He hated tacos. And yet, we had this kind of um, 
training in our family where we served our kids a variety of foods and we expected them to taste and eat what we served them. And we sort of had this, this rule that um, if, you, if, you, if you didn't eat all of your dinner, you didn't get any food till morning and certainly you didn't get dessert, right? Um, we wanted them to enjoy a variety of foods and we didn't want to, um, I didn't want to be a short order cook for my kids. Uh, they were invited to eat what we ate and if they ate it all, great, and if they didn't, they certainly didn't get dessert or anything else to eat. And so this one night I served tacos. Adam loves tacos. <laughs> He's back on our, on our um, multimedia today. But Spencer did not like tacos. And so when we served him tacos, he was complaining and whining and being defiant. And you know what? He was deserving of a spanking for sure. But in this moment, Bob and I decided that we could use it as an opportunity to teach the boy's grace. And so we said to him, we're like, you know, Spencer, Bob was the spokesperson. He said, like, Spencer, you are being so defiant and so whiny and so complaining about your tacos. You know you deserve a timeout or a spanking. And he was like, yes, Papa. That's what he called Bob. And he said, because um, you know, you know, our, our rules with our family. And he was like, yes, Papa. And he said, well, tonight we want to teach you about God's grace because God, by his grace, does not give us what we deserve. You deserve a spanking. But God, by his grace, doesn't give us what we deserve when we are sinful or defiant or complaining or rebellious against him. And then he went on to say, and God, by his mercy, actually gives us what we don't deserve. Doesn't give us what we do deserve, but actually gives us what we don't deserve. He gives us his mercy. So we said... You know, tonight, what you deserve, Spencer, is discipline, is punishment. You have disobeyed us, and your attitude is horrible. But instead, we're going to give you, not give you what you do deserve and give you what you don't deserve. We're going out for ice cream. And so we got up from the table, and we went into the car, and we went to Baskin-Robbins when it used to be where La Provence is. Remember those days? And we went to Baskin-Robbins, and we had ice cream. And that was a lesson about grace and mercy. To, to this day, if I say, Spencer, tell me how you learned about God's grace. He'll say, oh, when I didn't eat my taco, we went to Baskin-Robbins instead. <laughs> Those lessons really sink in. But as we talked about last week, God's grace is his favor towards us to give us what we don't deserve, which is forgiveness and eternal life, and to not give us what we do deserve, which is judgment, punishment for sin, and eternal separation from God. And I think about all that Paul's been trying to tell us in this chapter so far as we've looked at Ephesians. You know, he's been trying to tell us, look, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, but God made you alive in Christ Jesus. He said you were sons of disobedience, but God raised you up with Christ Jesus. And he says you were children of wrath, but God has seated you with Christ Jesus and made us recipients of his mercy and his love and his grace and his kindness. So by grace, God has changed the whole trajectory of our lives. He has, we have, we've been striving away from him, children of disobedience, dead in our trespasses and sins, and he has changed all of that by bringing us back into the fold of his family, where we have favor and acceptance and security and provision and love. So it's no wonder we talk about God's amazing grace. Let's talk about salvation, the second word, to be saved, that we see in this passage. What is salvation? 
We talked about that a lot last week. You can listen to the podcast if you missed. But last week we talked about salvation is not just about what we're saved from. It's also who we're saved to be with. We're saved to be with Jesus. Salvation is offered to us by grace. God has done all the work. We do nothing in and of ourselves. Though, you know what? We try, don't we? People in general are trying to save themselves, it seems like, in our world. We're trying to prevent aging. We're trying to prevent death. We're trying to find the secret to eternal life. People work furiously to be charitable and to be good, just in case in the afterlife merit counts. We know that even those who don't believe in God, they think that there's going to be some accounting for niceness and generosity at the end of life. But the Bible tells us that salvation is a gift. God is, it's a gift, not a reward for good works. It's, um, the work of salvation has already been completed on the cross. It's finished. And yet salvation is more than just about forgiveness of sins and, and deliverance from death and eternal separation from God. It's about this new life in Christ. You know, when we become saved, when we believe in Jesus Christ and receive him as Savior and we, we receive the Holy Spirit, that starts now. It's today. It's, you have a different life in Christ. It's a newness of life in Christ that starts today and continues on for eternity. And as we discussed last week, when we are saved, we're made alive, we're raised up, we're exalted, and we're seated with Christ in the heavenly realm forever. And so this is all by God's grace. We did nothing to deserve this great gift of abundant kindness and lavish love. We did nothing to deserve it. We simply receive it directly from the hand of God by his grace through faith. Faith is the third word. What is faith? You know, the only real definition of faith is found in Hebrews 11.1, 1, which says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So faith is a response of the heart to the hearing of the good news of the gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ. It's how our heart responds to that good news. It's, it's an inner agreement where we, we agree with God. We agree with who God is. We agree with who Christ is. We agree with what Christ has done for us. When we have this inner sense of agreement, that's faith. But faith is actually more than that. Faith is more than just an inward sense of agreement. Faith is actually action. Because if you really believe something is true, it's going to change how you live. It's going to change. I'm, Sherry, I'm going to apologize to you now for sharing something that you shared in leaders' meeting. But it just strikes me as, as I'm thinking about this. Sherry Harkavy and her family were in Hawaii when that false report of a ballistic missile came. And she shared about in our leaders' meeting about... Um, how, how frightening that was to know that an incoming, there's a Melissa, you're there with your whole family and a missile is coming, it's going to hit Hawaii for, I don't know, 45 minutes was it until the, some space of time before the, the next message came and said it was a false alarm. But they, their family has faith. And so the way they responded, the way they acted in those times was to pray together, to speak scripture to each other, to, to prepare um, they didn't know what was happening next, but their faith immediately went into action. And that's how it is, that, that faith goes with action. When we have this deep assurance that what, who, God, who God says he is is true and who Christ is is true and our salvation is true, then it changes how we live our life. And even in Scripture, 
Paul tells us in Romans 10.9, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. See, it's twofold. It's, it's yes, you believe in your heart, but you confess with your mouth. It has to come out of you. It, it, it's in action. You tell another person. You speak it out loud. You become vulnerable with your faith. And so I want to ask you, how is your faith demonstrated? Think of yourself. If you were in that situation in Hawaii where a ballistic missile is supposed to come and hit you at any moment, how would you respond? You know, would you pray? Would you speak scripture to each other? Would you panic? You know, how sure are you of your faith? How, would you, how do you respond? How does your faith manifest itself in the words that you speak and the things that you do and the thoughts that you have and the way you spend your time? How do you live out your faith? Because it's not just what you believe, it's, it's how it manifests itself in your life. So these three words, grace, salvation, and faith, they're all gifts from God, all from him. It's important that we never think of salvation as a transaction. So it's not that, that God gives us grace and we give him faith and then, boom, we have salvation. It's all from him. God gives us grace by his grace, we respond in faith, which he gives us faith, and together we have salvation. It's not an exchange. It's all from him. He's the one who even enables us to believe and receive him as Savior. He extends the gift of faith to us. And that's why Paul's reminding us that we have nothing to boast about. He says, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. But, oh... Isn't it hard to receive something from someone that you had no part in? It's hard. It's hard to receive a gift where you did nothing to deserve it at all. There is nothing of, of value in us, in and of ourselves, that caused God to extend such a gift. He loves us. He created us. But we do nothing to earn it. And sometimes we're tempted to think, but surely God sees all our potential, right? He sees us in all of our glory. But the truth is there's nothing good enough in us that would merit God's favor towards us for salvation. Salvation is a gift that cannot be earned. It has to be received. And truly, you know, we're not smart enough. We're not pretty enough. We're not educated enough. We're not charitable enough. We're not even religious enough to be deserving of such an amazing gift. And this is really completely upside down for how we do human relationships, isn't it? I mean, we tend, though not intentionally, to give gifts to people in our lives that we feel loving towards, that we feel good about. You know, we don't feel charitable towards people who are cruel and unkind and mean and spirited. We feel charitable towards people who are kind and loving and respectful Think about your children, you know, you, you want to give good gifts to your children when they're obedient, when they're working hard in school, and when they're growing in good ways, and you don't feel charitable towards them when they're snotty and defiant and mean, you know. We talk about Santa, you get coal in your stocking when you're a bad kid, right? And so, so this is how we are with human relationships. We tend to value or, or we tend to look at performance. We don't mean to, but it just happens. You know, an, an aunt will give her estate to a favorite niece. You know, a parent will groom the favorite child to take over the family business. We have unspoken attachments to relationship that bear on the types of gifts that we give. 
So it's hard for us to receive a gift from God that's not based on anything within us. It's hard for us because that's not how human relationships work. And the reality is that God offers the gift of salvation to us while we are still in a state of hostility towards him. When we are the most hard-hearted and selfish and antagonistic and disbelieving, in that state, God died on the cross for our sins. When we were yet his enemies. Can you imagine sacrificing something of such great value to give to your worst enemy? You would never even dream of it. And that's how God is with us. This is who God is. He's full of mercy. He's full of grace. It's no wonder that our lives become artistic canvases of God's immeasurable kindness towards us, which prompt all of creation to worship him. It's no wonder. God sent his son Jesus to live the life we could not live and to die the death that we should have died so that we could be raised up with him forevermore. We did nothing. We can boast about nothing. All we can do is just agree that it is so. That's why in 1 Corinthians 1.31, Paul says, Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. When we boast, we boast in Jesus. So the truth here is that salvation is a gift to be received. It's a gift to be received. God loves you so much that he is reaching down into your life and he is extending this invitation for you to just believe and receive this gift. But you notice in that picture that I had, you have to reach out. You have to grab the gift. You have to take it. And then you have to open it. You have to enter into this relationship with Christ. It's a new life. It's becoming a new creature in Christ. We have to receive it. It's being offered, but we have to receive it unto ourselves. Have you experienced the saving grace of God in your life? And how is your life changing because of faith? You know, um, one of the best ways to reflect on your life, because sometimes we're so in the depths of our life, we're not really sure how we're being changed. But I love to look at the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. I don't know if I said those in the right order. But those characteristics. If you examine your life, let's say look over the last year. Is there more joy in your life? Is there more love? Love towards the unlovely people in your life. Are you kinder? Are you gentler? Are you exhibiting more faith and trust because you're looking back over your life and seeing how faithful and trustworthy God has been? Do you have a desire for more self-control? You don't want to be indulging or anesthetizing pain the way that you have. You want to trust and control, and you want to bring glory and honor to your life. One of the greatest indicators of, of the reality of your faith, your faith in action, is to just look at those fruits of the Spirit and see how God is changing your heart. Because that's what happens. We're changed when we believe and receive Christ as Savior, when we allow him by grace to do the work of faith in our lives. Well, let's talk more about this changed life from verse 10. Because after making it clear that salvation is the work of God and nothing based on our performance, Paul goes on to then describe the importance of works in the Christian life. So another way to think of it is that Works are not the root of salvation. Works are the fruit of salvation. 
They're not the root, they're the fruit. And so he says in verse 10, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Workmanship in the Greek literally means poem in English. It's used in the Greek to talk about an artistic creation. So it might it be a song or poetry or architecture or painting, something that's created by an artist. But the most um, equivalent word is poem. And so literally we are God's poetic masterpiece. Uh, we are a work of art that reflects our great creator and artist. We are a new creation in Christ. This is what 2 Corinthians 5.17 says. It says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So coming to faith in Christ is the beginning of a new life where God is, in, is at work in us and through us to make us more like him. So even though we're not saved because of our good works, we are created in Christ Jesus for good works. Our lives, our changed lives, declare God's glory um, to, to all of creation. Matthew 5, 16 says, In the same way, let your light shine before others, so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. So God is at work in us and through our lives to exhibit to others his truth, his love, his wisdom, his kindness, his power. We are his masterpieces. Have you ever thought of yourself as God's masterpiece? That he is, is creating in you something of artistic beauty to reflect his glory to the world around you? He is portraying himself as creator and redeemer through the artist expression on the canvas of your life. Our lives shine forth. They shine forth his kindness and his love, his mercy, his compassion, his forgiveness and service. Philippians 2.13 says, For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Last week, um, and she doesn't know I'm going to tell this story, but last week I bumped into a friend here, Leslie Sandin. Leslie, are you here? <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm going to tell a story about you. <laughs> I bumped into her. Leslie's a great part of our church family, and I just bumped into her as we were, were crossing in paths in the back of the room before River, and she's like, guess what? I'm going to Myanmar. <laughs> and I looked at her, and I'm like, of course you are, Leslie. <laughs> Because the thing about Leslie is last year, she was going to Africa. She was going to Rwanda. And she was so excited to go and, on the mission trip and to minister to the kids, the VBS kids, and to be a part of that great experience. She went with the team. And now she's so excited to go to Myanmar and to minister to those kids and to share the love of Jesus there. And, and I love that um, she's just bubbling over with her love for Christ, and she, she feels a sense of calling, a sense of mission to go and to be a part of what God is doing in these different parts of the country. God has poured his love into her. He's poured his light into her, and she is ready and eager to go and share it with wherever God might call her. And the cool thing is that God had all this in mind before we were born. He made us with intelligence and personality and talent. He placed us in a particular time, in a particular location, in a generation, a culture. And here in the Pacific Northwest, 
we got lucky. We got to be chosen to be placed in a dark corner of the U.S., <laughs> physically and spiritually, right? Of course, today doesn't show that off too well, but we know that's true. We're in a dark spiritual place and a dark physical place. But God placed us here so that our light might shine even brighter to the culture that he's put us in. He planted us here, and he even planted us here at the river. He planted us here where we can become knowledgeable about his word, where we can grow in faith, where we can be strengthened in community, where we can explore more and learn more about who Christ is. We can feel equipped and ready to go out and serve him. Home base is where we come to get fed on God's word, and then we go out and we're light in the darkness of our world. He has a work for us to do. And yes, it might be in Africa or it might be in Myanmar, but for sure it's right here where he's planted you. It's for sure right here. It's in your family. It's in your workplace. It's in your school. It's in your community. It's in your neighborhoods. It's in the church. It's in the ministries that, that you are involved in. God is intentional. You are his masterpiece. You are the one who displays his light and his truth and his love and his kindness and his grace and his mercy to the people around you. And it is not a mistake that you are right where you are and that you, God is using you to do a good work for Christ right where you're planted. You are a masterpiece. You are his poetry in motion. He has created you to display his grace and glory to the people of this generation. The truth is that God works through us to display his heart to a broken world. God works through us to display his heart to a broken world. But God has to work in us before he can work through us. God has to work in our hearts before he can work through our lives. How is God working through your heart through the study of Ephesians so far? We're only in chapter 2. What is God doing in your heart through the study of Ephesians? How is he working to make you a new creation in Christ? You know, it's funny because when we get to chapters 4 through 6, Paul is going to give us such practical application. Hi, Donna. <laughs> about how to work this out in our lives. He's going to tell us how to walk worthy of the manner to which we've been called. How to walk in the manner. No, that's right. He's going to tell us practically in verses, in chapters 4 through 6, how do we do this? You know, chapters 1 through 3, he's laying the theological foundation. He wants us to understand who we are in Christ, what blessings we have, what the reality is about how God has made us. He wants us to understand our identity. He is, he is helping us first wrap our minds around what does our salvation really mean? What is grace through faith? That we have nothing to boast in. It's all about him, and yet we're called to do a work. And then in 4 through 6, he's going to flesh that out. How do we live our daily lives? It's so important that we get this piece down first, that we really understand that we can walk worthy in the manner that he's called us. So how are you finding that your desires are changing as you grow in faith and maturity? How is God rearranging your heart and your priorities as you fall more deeply in love with Christ? When I was preteen, I think it was, I was really wrestling with God's, I felt like God was calling me to submit my whole life to him. Um, I knew him from the time I was a little girl, but I didn't have a lot of Bible knowledge. I had faith without knowledge, and there was this time where I felt like, like, I really was feeling God knocking on my heart to give my whole life to him, which I didn't actually do till I was in college. But 
um, there was this moment where, and I remember saying to him, oh God, promise me if I give my whole life to you that you'll never call me to be a missionary in Africa. Because <laughs> for some reason I thought like that if you gave your whole life to Christ, he would call you to, be, to Africa to be a missionary. And I remember that so clearly. I was so afraid that that's what that meant, that I had to go to Africa and be a missionary. I didn't know how God worked. I didn't know that actually when he enters your life, he changes your heart. Five years ago, I was in a church service here, and Pastor Charles shows up, founder of African New Life, and he's preaching the word of God. He's just on fire. And all of a sudden, my heart literally leapt out of my chest, and I went, oh, my goodness, I'm going to Africa. <laughs> and I couldn't wait, and I turned to Spencer sitting next to me, and I'm like, Spencer, will you go to Africa with me? And he's like, sure. And five years ago, I went, and it was amazing. And some of you went with me here in this room, and we were able to minister to the kids at VBS. We were able to meet our sponsored children in Bujasera, and it was just incredible. And then the next year, I got to go back with some other friends in this room, and we got to minister to women. We got to put on a women's conference, and it was amazing. And I can't wait to go back because God has so impassioned my heart for the people of Rwanda. I can't tell you how thankful I am that God didn't leave me to, my small, to the small-minded life that I was envisioning for myself. You know, we oftentimes think of our own lives under the umbrella of fear, of um, short-sightedness, of faithlessness apart from God. But God has such a bigger life for us. This new life in Christ is so much grander than we can imagine for ourselves. But when we say yes to God, when we believe in Jesus and we invite the Holy Spirit into our lives, we are changed inside and out. That means our desires are changed. Our motives are changed. We are changed people. And God has a work for us to do that is actually meant to be a blessing to us. He can invite anyone to do the work that he's going to do in the world. And when he invites you, it's really meant to be a blessing for you. And we have opportunities to let the light of Christ shine through us to other people. Because saving faith always results in a changed life. You know, when I think back at Paul, his divine experience with the grace of God is what compelled him to serve the Lord with his whole life. In 1 Corinthians 15.10, Paul said this. He said, By the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. How is God stirring in your heart to do a new work, to serve him, to bring glory to him? Do you have a desire to use your gifts and your talents to bring him glory as an expression for worship, as an expression of the saving grace that he has bestowed upon your life? You know, coincidentally, um, this Sunday at River West is Serve Sunday. It's just an opportunity where the foyer and the student ministry room will be filled with um, all the different ministries that we're involved in here at River West, our city, our church, our, the world. And maybe if you go into this week praying and asking the Lord, Lord, do you have something new that you want to do in me? that you might go and visit with a ministry leader this year and just see how he, next week, and see how he leads you. He may very well be stirring in your heart and giving you a desire for a way that he can work in and through you to others in this world. 
There's just no greater adventure than following Jesus. Let me pray for us, and then we'll worship. Father, we praise you for the life that you call us to, which is so far greater than what we can imagine in and of ourselves. We're short-minded, short-sighted, we're small-minded. We, um, we just need faith to be able to see our lives from your perspective. Lord, thank you that even faith is a gift, that you extend grace to us for salvation, and then you give us the faith. We just have to reach out and receive it from you. Thank you for this precious gift. Thank you that we can't boast. We know we are, there's nothing in us. It's all you, and you are the one who gets all the glory for your kindness and your grace and your love towards us. Lord, use our lives to reflect that back to the people around us. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.